All right, well, good morning. Or good evening, I guess, wherever you happen to be. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And we're so glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you for joining us at one of our off-site campuses or in the chapel or online, wherever you happen to be. Glad that you're hopefully dry and have power and internet access. Come on, somebody. That is something to be thankful for in South Carolina right now. So good. How many of you are excited to be in church this weekend? Yes, let me hear you on that one. Man, I didn't realize until last week just how much I take for granted the ability to drive to church and worship here with our church family. I had to meet Pastor Greg up here at church last Saturday night to record the service for Church Online. We had to cancel services here in Mount Pleasant because the roads were getting dangerous. And how many of you have ever left church feeling like, man, the pastor was speaking right to me? You ever felt that way? You ought to try being the only brother in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was all good till he got to response time, and I felt like he was looking at me like, what you going to do? How you going to respond? You know? <laughs> like, yes, God, I'm sorry, please. It was a crazy weekend. We had to cancel services in Columbia and Irmo and Manning and McClellanville, James Island, Sea Island. Our plan was constantly changing based on information we were getting in. It highlighted the fact that we needed to be able to communicate with the masses quickly, communicate with our church family easily. We would post things to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Pastor Greg would periscope. And those are effective means of communication, but they're really one-sided in that you have to open up the app, search for Seacoast, read whatever it is we've posted. So for some time, we've had creating a texting platform or adding that to our service on the to-do list. But after the week we've had, man, we bumped it up to the top. There have been so much information that we've needed to communicate, so many opportunities for us to gather or rally as a church to serve neighborhoods or communities in need. So here's what I'd like for you to do today. If you brought your iPhone with you, you can go ahead and get that out. Or if you have one of those other dinosaurs, devices, I'm sorry, you can go ahead and pull that out. Instead of just hitting up your phone uh, as something that we would like for you to opt into. So if you would like to be up to date on important information such as service cancellations, changes, or opportunities to serve here in our community via text and email, if you would text YES to 843-203-9777. Again, that's 843-203-9777. That's actually Pastor Greg's cell phone number. He's in a back room right now. Just going to hit up every single one of you. <laughs> Or not, but no, we'd love to be able to communicate with you that way. As you're doing that, I want to speak directly to anyone that might be here today that is still uh, kind of in the thick of it, experiencing loss, anxiety, frustration over the flooding over the course of the last week. I know a number of folks who, who lost their car because it was flooded, their, their homes, they were evacuated, many of which haven't gotten back in their homes yet. And we want you to know uh, that as a church, we want to be here for you. This is a time for the local church to shine, for you to see us rally around to support you through the season. So we created an email address, charlestonflood at seacoast.org, that we'd love for you to use, whether you're in Columbia, Irmo, anywhere here in the low country, to let us know if you're in need. You can send an email on behalf of someone else uh, just to let us know, and we're committed to walking with you in this season. We want you to know that we're here for you and that most importantly, God sees you. So I'd love to take just a minute to pray for you individually as we get started and pray over our time together today. Why don't you join me? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. I'm thankful, God, that your word tells us that you draw close to the brokenhearted. So I pray for any of those that might feel uh, anxious or fearful or frustrated, wondering 
what their next is going to look like or where it's going to come from. I pray that in this season, they would see you draw close and really be their provider. You tell us not to worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear or where we'll sleep, but to seek first your kingdom and all these things shall be added unto us. So I pray that in a way that only you could, you don't just return them back to a situation that may have been good, but you take them to a new place that will be great, one where they now have a testimony of a God who has provided and a community of people that have rallied around to love and support them. God, we pray for our time together today. May our hearts be open. May we be prepared for anything that you might want to do in us or through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start off asking you a question. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were given something that you really had a hard time receiving? Maybe it was because you knew how much the gift cost, and so you were a little uncomfortable that someone would spend that on you. Maybe because you knew how much the, the person sacrificed in giving it to you made it a little uncomfortable for you. Maybe it was because you knew the person that was giving it to you really wanted it for themselves. They know how much uh, you loved Taylor Swift, and they hooked you up with some T-Swizzle tickets to bless you, even though it was something they really wanted. Think back on that. Acts 20, 35 there at the top of your outline says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And in principle, I agree with that. It's more blessed to be open-handed than it is to be closed-fisted. It's more blessed to be generous than it is to be stingy. When I'm open-handed with all that God has given me, he can entrust me with more, knowing that I'm going to steward it. I'm going to steward it well. But I wonder today, if you were to drive throughout the state of South Carolina and talk with families who have lost everything and have experienced an outpouring of love, what they think about this verse, I wonder what their response would be. As I look on, on Facebook, I read words like, I'm speechless. I'm at a loss for words. How could I ever repay? Seeing people step up and, and give has so touched their hearts that it makes me question, as a believer, I wonder if there isn't a world of learning for us to do when it comes to the art of receiving, receiving the kindness or, or generosity of others. For the last two weeks, we've been in a series called Like a Good Neighbor, where we've been looking at the two great commandments there on your outline from Matthew 22, 37 through 39. It says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's unique to that, it says the second is like it, but in language, these two commands aren't alike at all. One says, love God, and the other says, love your neighbor. But in function or practice, they're one and the same. If we're going to love God, then we have to love our neighbor, which has led us to question, okay, then, well, who is my neighbor? Is it the barista at my local Starbucks? Mine is Taylor and Lauren and a guy named Brett and a chick that always calls me honey or darling, which is a little awkward. I don't know how to take that. Not nearly as bad as baby, though. If you're in the food and bev deal, calling somebody baby, it's like, I just want a pancake. It's too early. Anyway, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, those people are your neighbors. People all throughout the state of South Carolina that have lost everything, yes, they are your neighbors. But in this series, we're looking more specifically at the people that you spend a significant portion of time around. The people that are within just a hundred, couple hundred feet of your home, your actual neighbors. 
You know, I've been blown away over the course of the last week at the way that we've actually loved our neighbors. There's something about natural disasters that have a way of leveling the field when it comes to our willingness to ask and receive. They reveal a universal neediness. Something about seeing people uh, from the largest of homes to the smallest of homes, both the rich and the poor, have to be rescued from their home by boat reveals the fact that there's going to be seasons in our life, situations where we face, where the need is so great that we don't have the experience or the resources or the ability to save ourselves, where we have to reach out and actually ask someone for help. And in natural disasters, it's, it's common, it's expected. Everyone, we all step up to fight for and preserve life. It's okay for us to ask and receive help, but I'm curious today as to how easy that is for you when things appear to be normal. So that we'd start off today with a little self-assessment. There's a scale there on your outline from one to 10, one being very hard and 10 being very easy. How easy is it for you to receive from others? Could be something as basic as a compliment, like, hey man, that shirt, that shirt looks good. Maybe a birthday gift. Maybe you've been out of town and your neighbor while he was cutting his yard just kept the mower going. And cut yours as well. One less thing you got to do when you get back in town. Out of curiosity, how many of you said between six and ten? It's relatively easy for me to receive a gift. Most of us. We love gifts. I think about one of my most memorable gifts or blessing that I was given. After Katie and I had been at Seacoast for about a year, uh, our family was living in a duplex at the time. It was about 1,300 square feet for the seven of us, and it was tight if you know what I'm saying. And so our, our youngest child slept in a pack and play in our bathroom for the first year of his life. <laughs> that ain't a joke. That's for real, you know. And, and one morning I was ironing and um, Katie went to walk behind me. And because everything was just tight in that house, I go to lean forward over the iron and bur burnt a very sensitive part of my chest that rhymes with ripple. You know? <laughs> so I scream, oh, it's gone. I'm burning off. No. You know? And it's like, what do you do at that point? You don't go to the doctor because they're going to say, bro, you're not supposed to iron your shirt while you wear it. You know, <laughs> like, that's not what happened. Bro. You know, so I put on a loose shirt and I come into the office kind of keeping it baggy. What do you do? I don't know other than be in pain. And so come in, sit down. A friend of mine, Brian Wolverton calls, says, hey, bro, listen, I feel like God just told me to stop by and give you my breakfast. You at the office? I'm like, well, that's weird, but yes, I didn't eat breakfast. I was so worried about my chest. I would love your breakfast, you know? And so he stops by, and I walk out, and he was like, what's wrong, man? So I told him what happened. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'll be, I'll be praying for you. And so he leaves, and when he leaves, he calls a doctor, gets a burn cream called in for me, goes by CVS, picks up bandaging. Like two hours later, calls me, hey, bro, I just picked up some burn cream for your boob. You want to meet me at McAllister's? We can grab lunch. <laughs> You know, I was like, this cat just spent all morning working for me and the burn on my chest. I never would have asked for it, but I will receive the blessing. You know, thank you. You don't have to help me put it on, but I'll take it. That'd be great. It's awesome. Our ability to, to willingly receive blessing from others does bear practical value in our lives. It serves us, but it also has spiritual implications, spiritual blessing as well. In fact, our ability to freely receive from others is foundational to our faith. Romans 5, 17, there on your outline, says it this way. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Underline that word receive for me. 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the greatest gift ever given isn't something that you can accomplish or earn or attain, but something that has to be freely received, willingly received from God. In other words, you can have a killer job, be wildly successful in the world's eyes, live in your your dream house, have a beautiful family, have all the toys, boats, jet skis to fill your idle time on the weekend. Life just seemed perfect. Yet when you go to bed at the end of the day, there'd be an emptiness inside of you that only the finished work of Jesus on the cross can satisfy, the free gift of God that you have to willingly receive. It leads me to ask this question there on your outline. What if the rich and satisfying life that you've always wanted has more to do with your willingness to receive than your ability to achieve? If the greatest gift ever given isn't something that you can earn or attain on your own but receive from God, why would the greatest gifts of this world be any different? That we might trust him to provide for us, that we might receive his blessing. What's unique to receiving is that it happens one of two ways, the first of which we just discussed, freely receiving from others, a gift, something that you didn't earn or couldn't attain. But the second way that we can receive is in times where we need to ask. So on a scale of of 1 to 10, 1 being very hard, 10 being very easy there on your outline, how easy is it for you to ask for help from others? Maybe it's in a season of your marriage where there's a few issues and every single time they come up, man, you just seem to butt heads. It ends in an argument. You just got to leave it alone. Or maybe it's in your, your parenting. You're doing your best to figure out how to best love and care for your child right now, but you want to body slam them because they seem to be off the reserve. You know, it's like, help me out here to where you have to call someone to say, hey, could you help me? Am I, am I not seeing something? What would you do in this situation? How easy is it for you to ask for help? If I'm being honest, I wasn't excited about this message until this question on Monday and message planning. Every week, uh, for the person who's speaking, a team of about 10 people come together and the teaching pastor can kind of lay out the verse and the thought that they're thinking about. And We had had this one planned for a couple months and as it got close, I just kept thinking the art of receiving. God, what is, what's really in this for us? And when I asked this question at message planning, how easy is it for you to ask and receive help from others. As we went around the room, every single one of them uh, scored themselves as a two or a three or a four, just saying, man, it is really hard for me to ask for help. How many of you would agree? How many of you scored yourself somewhere between one and five? Say, man, it's hard for me to ask for help. As I saw their response, I was blown away because I would score myself as somewhere around a nine or a 10, you know? To where many of you would say, I know, dude, you ask for help for everything. Cut your own yard, you know, <laughs> not helping you. But if it takes a village to raise a child, I've always kind of thought it takes a village to build a deck, you know. Hey, bro, what you doing this weekend, <laughs> you know. Come help me do my yard, you know, whatever it is. It's challenging. It's hard for us to ask for help. But for me, it feels easy. So I had to ask myself, why is that? How did I get to be this way? How is it so much easier for me when it's so hard for others. And I think the answer is the hard way. Man, through just about every season of my life, God in his grace has provided a mentor to speak truth or challenge me in some way. And I was successful in not listening to any of their counsel, you know, until about eight years ago when God had allowed just about anything that I could find value or identity in to be stripped away from me. 
Katie and I were in a season of our marriage where she would say, I don't know that I love you anymore. And I don't know that I want to be with you anymore. I mean, we would talk openly about it, but I'm going to tell you, it's the darkest, hardest season that I've ever walked through. So to try to prioritize my marriage, I stepped away from ministry for a season and thought, well, hey, I've got a Bachelor of Arts and a Master's of Arts. I've spent a lot of time and money to have a certificate that certifies me in nothing, but I'll probably be able to find a job, you know. So applied everywhere that you could imagine, from Lowe's to Crisis Ministry downtown. Couldn't even get an interview anywhere. God just kept the doors closed. And because of that, we burned through savings and checking. I called on every friend or family member until God was the only person that I had at the end of the day. I was so broken. Somehow he, he allowed me to go from a two to a 10, where at one point I was hesitant or resistant or really struggled to ask for help. I had no other options. So from being a good husband to being a good dad to, to finding some odd jobs, man, I was calling everybody that I knew to see if they could help me out through this season. Not that it's still not a struggle for me. I still find myself resistant or hesitant to ask for help at times, but it's a lot easier for me to push through. What's unique about asking for help is that it hasn't always been a struggle for us. If you've spent any time at all around kids, I think one of the most common attributes they share is the green light to ask you for anything at any time. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, Dad, can I have a Pop-Tart? Hey, Dad, can I have another Pop-Tart? It's like, how many of those things are you going to eat, dude? You know? Hey, Dad, can we go to Disney? It's like, no, what are you thinking? No, I'm just waking up, you know? They're not hesitant at all to ask for anything at any time, a want, a need. There's no shame. There's nothing in them keeping them from coming out with it. I can't help but wonder if this is one of the things that Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 18, 3, there on your outline. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you address whatever it is in you as an adult that, that makes it difficult or challenging for you to reach out and ask others for help. Unless you can turn to me with that posture and ask for help, it's going to be difficult for you to inherit his kingdom. It leads me to ask this question there on your outline. Is it possible that your ability to ask and receive from people reveals your ability to ask and receive from God? If it's a challenge for you to ask people for help, to seek counsel, to lend you a hand, things that you can actually hear and see and get your hands around, how much more difficult is it for you to ask and receive from God things that you cannot see? The forgiveness of your sins, inheriting and receiving eternal life. Would not the same junk and issues, sin, pride in your heart that keeps you from asking and receiving from others not also be the same issues that keep you asking and receiving from God? Not to say they do, but where would that leave you? It's very challenging for us to reach out and ask for help. Why is that? I did some looking into that this week and found that it's not just an issue for believers. Man, it's an issue for everybody. Nearly every magazine you could think of has put out an article regarding our struggle to ask for help. So there on the back of your outline, put five of the top false assumptions about receiving help from others. Not an exhaustive list by any means. There were so many points or thoughts that speak to it, a couple of which are, number one, it shows a lack of maturity. Number two, it reveals my ignorance. You know, you've been hired to do a job, but you, you hit a wall. Maybe your team meetings are just miserable, and you need to figure out what's wrong with these things. Is it the people? Is it the format? How can I make these better? So you want to ask somebody for help? 
and you're the dude they've tasked to lead, you know? But you don't know how to lead the meeting. You just don't want to feel like a bozo for asking for help. It's a sign of weakness. And you've, you've got a resume, a track record, track record. Up to this point, you've been a strong leader that's produced. If you ask for help, you don't want to appear weak. It requires me to lose control. It's a burden to others. You don't want to inconvenience them. You know, these are, these are very real feelings. Uh, you can feel exposed. If you ask others for help, you don't, want, you don't want them to put you in a box to where they now start seeing you as the needy person. Uh, that's always in need of a hand. But what's crazy about our willingness to push through that and ask for help is what, what it actually communicates is almost the opposite of each of these. It actually reveals your maturity. For any of you that have lived any number of years, you know that there's seasons of life where you're both a giver and a taker. Times where you have plenty and you can generously to give to others, but also times where you're in need and you need to willingly receive from them. It doesn't reveal ignorance. It actually reveals your genius. You know, you, you have a clear sense of what God has skilled and equipped and allowed you to do. You know that you can't do everything. And if you're one of those people that thinks you can do everything, that's all neat and put together and has all the answers and never does wrong, we don't like you, you know, <laughs> because we're weak and we need help. We need to lean on each other. We're all in the process of being sanctified, of being molded and, and shaped more into the image of God. And until I get to heaven, man, I'm going to have some issues, and I need some help. And when I'm willing to ask for help, man, it's a sign of strength. Control is elusive because we never actually had control to begin with. I promise you, each of the families that woke up Thursday morning to find themselves knee-deep in water in their bedroom, that is not what they had planned for their day, for their week, for this next season of their life. We don't have control anyway. And it's not a burden to others when we ask for help. It's actually a blessing. If it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, when we tap into somebody else's skills and experience, ask them to help us speak into their life, it brings about practical blessing in our life and it unleashes blessing in theirs because they're able to benefit you, help you walk through whatever season you might be in. So if it's critical for us to, to learn how to ask and receive well, then how do we grow in the art of receiving? Two thoughts for us there on your outline. The first of which is we have to embrace humility. Embrace humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 says it this way. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now what's unique to this passage is that the word humility that he uses means to have a deep sense of one's littleness, to think of yourself rightly. But Peter's instruction in the passage is for us to clothe ourselves with humility, meaning that there shouldn't be a disconnect between the way that we think and feel about ourselves and the way that we act. It would be possible then for us to, to act humbly but not truly embrace humility because it's something that God wants to come from an overflow of, of within us that we would both see ourselves rightly, think about ourselves rightly, but then also act in humility. One of the best examples that come to mind for me of this is having someone wash your feet. As an adult, how many of you have had someone wash your feet before? My, uh, my seven-year-old, Abel, uh, somehow manages to get out of the house three or four days a week without wearing any socks in his shoes. And so at the end of the day, both his shoes and his feet end up smelling more like his bottom, if you know what I'm saying. 
And uh, when I'm tucking them in at night, the, the stank just fills up the whole room. And so I'm trying to pray, read a little devotional, be all sweet. And there usually comes a point when I'm like, just get in the bathtub, go stand in the bathtub. And I'm in there on my knees washing his nasty feet. And every time I'm reminded of this passage in John 13, starting in verse 3, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And this is where it's helpful if you give, you know, biblical characters a little bit of accent or personality. For me, this is kind of mafia Peter. Saying, forget about it. You're not going to wash my feet. Forget about it, you know. Now you have a little insight as to what my quiet times are like. A little more eventful, <laughs> exciting than you might think. So this is the passage I wanted you to hear. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So in other words, unless you willingly receive, humbly receive what I'm giving you, you have no part with me. You know, when we started this series, we gave out these magnets, and they have eight squares on them, and the purpose for them was to help you just get to know your neighbor's names so that you could call them by name. People love to hear their name, get to know their stories. Well, what if the golden ticket for us loving our neighbors, for, for establishing a relationship, being able to ultimately share the good news with them and impact their lives, had as much to do with our willingness to humbly receive from them as it did to faithfully serve them, to validate their gifts and skills, to affirm them as a person, that in some way they would see, man, we have needs, we're weak, that we would humbly receive from them as well. Practically, what does it look like then for us to grow in this? What would it look like for me to grow in my ability to embrace humility? One idea would be to decide right now that you're going to say yes the next time somebody offers to do something for you. Uh, maybe you have a, a kid that plays soccer and somebody says, hey, I'll pick up Brian from soccer and bring him by the house. We'll be out anyway. And, and oftentimes our default is to be like, no, 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 don't worry about that. We'll drive out and get him ourselves. He's our kid. We'll provide his transportation, you know. Or maybe you've been sick and somebody says, hey, man, I know you've been sick. How about I cook up that roast beef thing you like and bring it by the house? You're like, no, 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 no. I will take care of my nutritional needs, you know. <laughs> but what if you decide right now that the next time somebody offered to serve you in some way, that you would humbly receive it? Because it will practically serve you, but it will also unleash blessing in their lives. But it's going to require you to respond in humility to address whatever wall inside of you uh, might pop up for you to appear strong and independent, to allow them to serve you in some way. So the first thing we do is to embrace humility. The second thing that we have to do is practice vulnerability. Practice vulnerability, which might be the least attractive word I know. Something that we usually avoid at all costs. You ain't never gonna hear a dude say, hey babe, what do we got going on on Monday night? Oh, nothing? Great, why don't you call a sitter? I was thinking about us going out for a date, grab a great meal, maybe just be vulnerable with each other, you know? 
talk about things we're struggling with, sin in my life, some insecurities I've been having. Be awesome, you know. <laughs> Forget about it, you know. <laughs> Ladies, it ain't gonna happen, you know. Or what if a campus pastor got up on a Sunday morning and said, good morning, church. So glad that you're here. It's going to be a great week. Really excited about all God's doing here at the church. I want you to know that on Tuesday nights, we're kicking off 10 new vulnerability groups. Be a great opportunity for you to invite a friend, share your insecurities, fears, deepest sins you've never told anybody. You know? <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> for nobody's going to come. It's painful, but in the same hand, how many of you have ever been a part of a small group or been in a conversation and watched someone risk being vulnerable and then noticed how when you came away from the conversation, somehow everyone felt closer? It is one of the most powerful responses that we can have, but it's one of the most challenging things to do. I love Paul's response in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, there on your outline. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul knew that he had weaknesses, but instead of trying to hide them or conceal them or ignore them, he boasted in them so that the power of God might be made perfect in his life. I can't help but wonder what need you might have in your life. That, that God has resources available for you in, but he won't release them unless you're willing to ask for them. Which makes me question, well, why would we have to ask? Matthew 6, 8 says, the Father knows what you need before you ask. What if he desires for us to ask for them because he wants us to embrace humility? He wants us to practice vulnerability. That as his children, we would reflect his heart that he would, he would unleash incredible blessing in our life, not only from him, but through others, as we humble ourselves, as we practice vulnerability, as we're willing to ask. Acts 17, 26, which has really served as an anchor verse for us in this series, says God has ordained set times and exact places for us to live, meaning that God knew the street address you live at before the land you live on was even developed. It'd be easy for us to read that passage and think that in some way God has commissioned, anointed, and appointed us to go and be the hero of our neighborhoods. And in some ways he has, because as believers, we carry the good news, the one thing that can make all the difference in someone's life. But if that's true, if he's positioned us there for them, the opposite is also true. He's positioned them there for us. Man, they've experienced things in life. They've been through some stuff. And one of the greatest ways that you could serve them, one of the greatest ways that you could love them is to listen to them, to ask for help, to receive from them, to validate them as a person. Have you ever been in a relationship that seemed to be one-sided, where the other person seemed to have all the answers? He's been everything. He knows everything. You can't seem to contribute at all. You end up coming away from those relationships feeling more like a project than a person. It's just exhausting. What if the greatest way that you could reach your neighbor was to humbly receive from them, to practice vulnerability with them? You know, as I think about the church in Acts 2, it says all the believers were together and of one purpose, of one mind, focused on heaven, living for the kingdom. It says they sold their possessions and gave to one another as they had need. 
It wasn't some kind of socialist mentality, but it was a people that were sold out to sacrificing for one another, to being generous when they had plenty, and to being vulnerable and honest when they were in need. If we're going to step into the abundant life that Christ came to offer as a church, then it's going to require us getting comfortable in doing both, both receiving, freely receiving, but also having the courage to take the risk to be vulnerable and asking for help when we need it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. And God, we thank you for uh, just this message, for the art of receiving. And we believe as a church that there is incredible blessing that you want to unleash in our lives. Solutions that, that you have laid out to problems that we're walking through right now that you will give us as we humble ourselves, as we get vulnerable with our friends and family and, and ask for help. So God, I, I pray today that you'd give us the, the courage to maybe be vulnerable with you for the first time about where we're at, about stuff that we're thinking or struggling with, that you'd give us the courage to have some conversations, that we would step into the freedom that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.